A reading from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. So again, I just want to welcome you to our Christmas Eve service. I'm really glad that you've uh, carved out time to join us, even through this kind of online uh, medium. I think this has been one of the weirder years we have had since I have been alive. Uh, and more than weird, I think for a lot of people, it's just been kind of hard. And I would go so far as to say on top of that, it's been kind of a confusing year. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, I thought this was fascinating, there was an ad that Google put out. And it's talking about how over the course of 2020, people have Googled the question, why, more than in any other year. And so in this ad, one of the things they say, it's actually the opening line to the ad, it says, the most human trait there is, is wanting to know why. Which I think that's pretty accurate. And so what they do in the ad is they go through all the different things that have happened this year, and they're talking about how people have been asking all these different questions, and the implication, of course, is Google has been giving us all the right answers. And so the general feel of the ad is Google is giving us a lot of wisdom as a culture. Now, I don't know. Maybe that's true, uh, but you see, I did some research on this, and you can, get, can you guess 
what the number one why question was on Google. Lots of different why questions. What was the number one why question? So based on the ad, the feel of that ad, I think you would think it was something like, why do we exist? Something really deep, right? But no, not even close. Uh, you see, the number one why question asked was just, why were chainsaws invented? So they clearly left that out of the ad. I don't think it really fits what they're going for. And so in that sense, the ad, I would say, is a little bit deceptive. And yet, in another sense, I do think it's conveying something that's totally true. In fact, it's biblical, I would say. In particular, it really is a major part of being human that we want to know why. In other words, we don't want to just know what happened. We want to know why it happened. We want to know the underlying cause of things. We want to know if there's a purpose for it. We want to know what the meaning of it is. And yet the issue is, a lot of the time, it doesn't seem like there is any. Uh, maybe this year in particular, it seems like there's just no rhyme or reason for a lot of the things that have happened. If we look at what happened on the first Christmas, for a lot of people, it felt exactly the same way. You see, there were all these different circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. And when you first look at them, they do not make sense. In fact, if you could take the people who were there the night Christ was born and you ask them why things happened the way that they did, I think they would pretty much all say, I just don't know. They just did. So it didn't have any point to it. It was just random to them. And yet the thing is, if you look a little more closely, what you start to see is none of it was random. And in fact, all of it was entirely intentional. There was a very particular purpose to what was happening. And so what I want to do for the rest of this is I want to go through the things that happened. We're going to look at three of them. And I think what you'll see as we go through, through them is whereas it all kind of looked hard and pointless at the time, all of it had a very particular meaning and purpose. Right, so let's go to the first thing. Now, this is from that reading that I just read. And the first thing it says is when Christ was born, he was born in the city of Bethlehem. And you could ask the question, why? Why was he born there? You see, because Joseph and Mary, they weren't from there. They probably didn't want to be there. In fact, it wasn't their choice at all to be stuck in Bethlehem the night Jesus was born. But what happened is there was this government rule that forced them to be there. In particular, it was a census taking place, and as part of that census, everyone had to go to the town where their ancestors were from. And so since Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to the city of David. And that just so happened to be Bethlehem. And so if we ask the question, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? The answer is totally simple. It's just because there was a census. That's it. And yet, maybe that's not it. See, if you go back to the Old Testament, God makes this particular promise to his people. It's woven throughout the Old Testament, but in 2 Samuel, in particular, chapter 7, God is speaking to David, and what he says to David is someday there is going to be a king. And he's, he's going to be a, quote, son of David. What that means, it doesn't mean literal son, all that means is you're going to be able to trace his lineage back to David. 
And the thing about this king, what God says, is he's going to rule in a way that's incredibly different. Uh, so the first part of that different kind of rule is it's actually going to be God himself who rules through this king. And so what that means is unlike typical kings who have this very limited amount of sovereignty, this God-given king is going to have sovereignty over absolutely everything. And so even if other people have tons of power, they're not going to be able to undo what this king wants. So again, he's going to be 100% sovereign. And then the second thing it says about him is his kingdom is going to have no end. And so whereas typically human rulers just come and go, this one's going to come and his reign is never going to stop. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's this growing anticipation that this king is going to come and that when he does, it's going to be incredible. He's going to set people free. He's going to make people new. He's going to be sovereign over everything that happens in their lives. That is the promise. And you see, in making this promise, God specifies exactly where he is going to be born. Bethlehem. And so to circle back to our question, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? One answer is because there was a census. But you see, the deeper answer is because God made a promise. And this Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. So that means this Jesus is the king who is sovereign over everything. That's what God is saying with this. And in fact, if you think about it, what better way for God to show his sovereignty than to take something that Caesar Augustus did. And Caesar Augustus was this incredibly powerful person. And so in his mind, he was ordering the census as a show of his power. And yet what was really happening is God was orchestrating that census as a show of Jesus' power. So even the sovereignty of Caesar, if you could call it sovereignty, just pointed everyone to the sovereignty of Jesus, the real king. So none of this was random. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Not just because of a census, but because of a God who orchestrated that census. And he did that in order to tell us, this is the king that I promised. His power over this world is perfect. His kingdom will have no end. Let's go to the second thing. Uh, so right when Jesus was born, it says there was no room at the inn. Right? It's kind of a famous line. And so Joseph and Mary were actually spending the night in a stable. And when Jesus was born, what Mary did is she swaddled him up and she put him into a manger. Now think about this as we look at this now, and for whatever reason, we think it's kind of cute. <laughs> and so we sing, away in a manger, as if this is somehow normal, and yet what is Mary doing? She is literally putting her firstborn child in a food trough. In fact, if this happened today, I think everyone would assume Mary totally skipped her prenatal classes. So again, when you just look at what happened, Mary putting Jesus in a manger, Seems like kind of a pointless detail. And if we were to ask, why did she do that? The answer seems pretty simple. It's just because there was no room at the end. That's it. And yet, maybe that's not it. See, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 55, God's speaking to his people, and he says to them, why are you always feeding on that which is not bread? This is a pretty persistent problem. 
among God's people. They are always feeding on things that aren't bread. And just to be clear about this, this isn't talking about literal bread and physical feeding. Uh, Throughout the Bible, what you feed on is symbolic for what your heart trusts in. So it's what you look to for comfort. It's what your mind is consumed with. It's what you habitually turn to. You gravitate towards this. It's the one thing you need in order to feel like you're going to be okay. Whatever that is, that is your bread. And so God looks at his people and what he sees is their bread is anything but him. And the thing is, it's not working. It's just making them empty. And so in Isaiah, God first of all calls them out like, this is not working clearly. And then second, he makes another promise to them. What he's going to do is he's going to send his word into the world. And he says, people are going to feed on my word. They're going to be filled. They're going to be free. They're going to stop feeding on other things and start feeding on my voice. And so that is Isaiah, chapter 55. Fast forward 500 years. Mary gives birth to Jesus. She puts him in a manger. She does not seem at all aware of what she's doing, so it's not intentional on her part. And yet, why did that happen? It happened because a manger is where you put food. that's what Jesus is. He is that food from God. He's the word of God. You see, a manger is for hay. You and I are sheep, and Jesus is the bread of life, is what this is saying. And so it's no accident he was put in a manger. In fact, the manger was in Bethlehem, right? That's what we were just talking about. And the word Bethlehem, it's this Hebrew word, it literally means house of bread. You can't even make this stuff up. Jesus was born in the house of bread. He was put in a manger, and none of that was an accident. It was God telling us, this is the bread of life. Stop feeding on all those other things. The last thing that happened is the first people to hear about Jesus were the shepherds. Like out in the field, right? So they're out in the field. The angels appear to them. They told them about Jesus. And so the question we could ask is, why shepherds? Why not some other occupation? So, for example, why not lawyers? Okay, so maybe it's obvious. <laughs> why not lawyers? Uh, my sister's a lawyer, just kind of want to dig her a little bit. Uh, but again, why shepherds of all people? See, I think when you first look at it, there doesn't seem to be any particular reason. If you want to explain it, it's just Jesus was born at night. Shepherds, they work at night. There you go. And yet, maybe there's more to it. You see, throughout the Bible, the work of a shepherd is highly symbolic. In fact, God repeatedly refers to himself as a shepherd. If you think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a common metaphor in the Bible. Now, on top of that, God would also use particular people as shepherds. So, for instance, in the Old Testament, prophets and priests were thought of as shepherds. That's because they were charged with guiding God's people into green pastures of faith. God's people are almost always seen as sheep, which we were kind of talking about a second ago. And so God gave them shepherds to guide them to himself. 
So at that first Christmas, again to that question, why were the shepherds the first to know? Because you and I are God's sheep. Christ is our food, which is what the manger is about. And what this is telling us now with the shepherds is God has given us these people, these shepherds, to point us to Christ. Now maybe you're sitting there thinking, uh, what are you talking about? (laughs) I look around, I don't see any shepherds. Now hold that thought. At the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus tells Peter three times, Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And so over and over and over again. And you see, when Jesus did that, what he was doing is he was commissioning every pastor. In fact, the word pastor, it's a Latin word, it literally means shepherd. And so if you were someone who comes to our 8 a.m. service and the pastors, we wear these robes, right? They're called albs with stoles. That is not just a weird sense of fashion. I've never worn that on a date night with my wife, yet. (laughs) Uh, But you see, it's meant to be the outfit of a shepherd. That's what it's supposed to represent. And that's because the work of a pastor is supposed to be that of a shepherd. It's to feed God's sheep. And so why were the shepherds the first to find out about Jesus? It is no accident. It's God communicating to us. And he's saying, you're a sheep. It's dark out Interpret that spiritually. It's dark. We can't see the spiritual realm that surrounds us. First Peter says the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion. There are all sorts of traps and trials that our hearts could fall into. And so what God has done is he has given us shepherds to guide us to Jesus. Now, does that mean pastors are perfect? You betcha. No, not at all. Is it true that sometimes there are wolves wearing shepherds' clothing? Yeah, we need to be discerning. And yet, as long as there is a shepherd pointing you to Jesus, that is something God himself ordained. And so God told the shepherds first, not because they are better, but because he is going to use them. They are going to guide the sheep closer to Christ. And so if they are pointing you there, the point is not to look from afar and ask whether you like the message. No, the point is to go to Christ yourself and see whether the message is true. So that's the deeper why of the way things happened on Christmas. And just to go through them, it wasn't just because of a crazy governor that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It wasn't just because there was no room at the inn that he was put in the manger. And it wasn't just because the shepherds were available that they were the first to find out. The reason all those things happened is because life is a story. Life is a story. And every story has an author. So what about your story? Why have things gone the way they have gone in your life? Maybe it seems kind of random. So I am where I am in life because, I don't know, messed this thing up. Or I made this particular decision or this pandemic has forced me into situations I never would have chosen or other people in my life 
have done things I've had no control over. And so all that is saying is the reason we are where we are is it's just a bunch of random natural causes that have no real rhyme or reason. And yet I want to suggest to you that maybe it is not random. See, in the book of Acts, it says God puts, uh, puts people in particular places at particular times. And whereas it always seems kind of random to us, what it says is God is always putting us in a place that we could reach out and find him. In other words, nothing in our life is random. See, behind all the natural causes that have shaped your life, there's been a supernatural God at work. And so just like that Christmas story, your story has an author. And the thing is, it's not you. It's not me. But it is the God who created you and me. And just like he did on that first Christmas, he is orchestrating everything because he cares about you. And he wants you to know him in this person named Jesus. And so if that's the case, what do you do? In our passage, when Mary heard this message from the shepherds, it says, first of all, she treasured it. It was valuable to her. And then second, she pondered all these things in her heart. And what that is saying is when God lets you in on the story of your life, what you do is you start to ponder the things that happen. And you do that in light of Scripture is what we've been doing. So you ponder the Word of God. You ponder your life. And as your eyes begin to open, you enter into the story. And you start living like it's true. Because it is. It's the story of which God himself is the author. His son, Jesus, is our savior. And you and I are just minor characters. But Jesus and his love nonetheless came to include us in the story of God. So if you believe that, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. You sent him so that our eyes could be opened and we could know who you are. And so God, we pray as we celebrate Christmas that you would soften whatever is still hard in our hearts, that Christ would become the king of every bit of our lives, and that his grace and truth would be the food on which our minds really feed. God, you know that this alone can make us merry. And so we pray, make it the story of our lives that we know you in this person named Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and all God's people said, amen.